The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. We're glad you found us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me for the show today. I'm so glad you could tune in for this really important conversation. If you're an animal lover like me, you may have been aware of this recent World Wildlife Fund report that shows just how broken our relationship to the natural world is. Biodiversity is being lost at a rapid rate. There's actually a 68% average decline of birds, mammals, fish, and reptiles since 1970. Some of these species are just going away. We're destroying the planet at our own peril, and the future is pretty bleak for our children to be able to see things like a living elephant or a rhino. And we're going to be talking about elephants in particular today. These uh, animals are critically endangered. Their numbers are declining. Things are dire, and we're going to be sounding the alarm on a, a particular practice today and opening your eyes on what we can do. My guest today is here to speak for the elephants and to let us know what's going on and how we need to pay attention. Sangeeta Iyer is a broadcast journalist, a writer, a biologist, a wildlife filmmaker, and National Geographic explorer. Her book, Gods and Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy, Resilience, and Freedom, details her journey to create and produce her award-winning documentary of the same name. And this chronicles the plight of over 700 Asian elephants who are abused and exploited in her home of Kerala, India. And I want to add proceeds from her book will be donated to the Boys for Asian Elephants Society. It's, uh, it's been an incredible read. And Sangeeta, I'm really happy to welcome you to the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I thank uh, Hay House for choosing to publish this very important book. This, this is so, it's so important and just highlights uh, a practice and, um, you know, ab abuses that are going on with these wonderful animals. I mean, we've, many people have heard about poaching in Africa and, and elephants are, you know, being sought for their tusks and things like that. But the, the story you share in Gods and Shackles is something that I'm not aware of. So I'm glad we can talk about this. And your book exposes the abuse and exploitation of Asian elephants who are forced to perform in crowded, noisy festival festivals that, that go on in India. And these animals are owned by individuals and temples. It's supposed to be, you know, kind of a, under the auspices of a religious um, situation. And, and it's really heartbreaking what, what's happening to these animals. It's, it was a difficult read. It was tough for me to, to get through this, but I'm glad that we can talk about it and, and share this information. Um, and this project was just such a journey for you personally, too. It took about three years to complete. 
and you've been changed forever, I'm sure, um, through this experience. So can you tell us a, a little bit about this practice and, and what's going on with the elephants? Absolutely. Actually, you know, being exploited behind the veil of culture and religion is the most insidious of all kinds of exploitation. These elephants are abducted from the wild, ripped apart from their families. And just so everybody knows, elephants are very family oriented. Their priority is protecting the young. They are ripped apart when they are young babies, as young as three or five years old, and tortured to submission to perform behind the insidious veil of culture and religion in temples, churches, and mosques alike. And so what happens is in this particular state, which is where I was born and raised, it's called Kerala. And that's where, you know, they have the maximum number of bull elephants. And so these bull elephants are decked up like women um, and emasculated literally. They are deprived of food, clothing, uh, I mean, food, shelter and water. And they're paraded on hot tar roads, the tar melting and sticking to their soft cushioned feet. And, you know, when I was in India in 2013, little did I know that this would even happen. But, you know, as a videographer, I carried a camera with me and it was devastating to witness pus oozing out of their massive tumors from the hips, tears flowing down their face. And, you know, the shackles cutting deep into their ankles and blood oozing. In spite of that, they were being depraved and deprived, these voiceless animals. And I said, I needed to do something about this. I documented everything feverishly, you know, and I said, I got to, you know, I got to expose this. So that's how this whole journey began in 2013. Well, you're so brave to be able to document this and and share the story your book really shows man's capacity for cruelty but also the capacity for love um there there were many uh incidents where you know people came to help you and uh, i just think it's so you know how are you able to reconcile this after witnessing such atrocities to know that there, there's like the light in the dark, you know, we do, we can fix this, we do have the capacity for love. And I think that's a lot of your message too. It is indeed. And it was very difficult, because when I went to Kerala, and you know, when I went for my second round of filming, um, I did meet even the festival um, uh, or elephant owners who were organizing these festivals. And I went with a lot of judgment. And of course, you know, when you look at the way these elephants are treated, it's hard not to judge them harshly. Yet, when, you know, when I was there, the reception was warm and very friendly. And in fact, what occurred to me is they were so naive that they didn't even realize that what they were doing is you know, abusive, like that's how ignorant they were of their own abuse. So the first thing that occurred to me is, oh my goodness, you can't even understand that what you're doing is hurting these elephants. So then I knew that there needs to be a major awakening, that there needs to be a major, you know, 
education and, and information uh, session that needs to be conducted like across the state, across India. But then you come across people who are genuinely ignorant and who really want to learn. But then there are those who are also willfully ignorant. So they know that these things are happening and, and, and they're still doing this on an ongoing basis. So that's where I, I, you know, I had a lot of anger, you know, bubbling up and I just needed to find a way to control my anger because to me, exposing these atrocities was the most important thing. I learned how to contain my emotions. I learned how to contain my passion. When I looked at those elephants suffering, I thought to myself, if they can control their emotions, why can't I just to save these elephants? So they taught me lessons every step of the way. And every time I encountered an elephant who was being abused, I noticed how forgiving these animals are, even to those who inflict suffering. And I started thinking if they can forgive their own tormentors, what makes me not forgive them then? You know, not I, I'm not condoning anything that they're doing, but find a way to get them to understand and open their heart and soul and realize that, hey, what you're doing is hurting them. You say you love these elephants, but actually you're hurting them. Freedom is a basic birthright of every single living being. It's something that we've been born to experience. That's what we've been born into. Captivity and cruelty is not something that humans were made to inflict upon other beings, especially the voiceless and the vulnerable. So that's where my whole transformational journey began. I think it does go against our nature. I, I really do. I, I don't think if people were aware that they would, they would do this. And I was trying to understand as well as I was reading the book, but there's a lot of money at stake. I mean, these elephant owners can make up to $10,000 a day U.S., and so I have to think, you know, how hard is this to initiate these kinds of changes in a place where so many people live in poverty? And what are you going to say to someone? I'm taking away your $10,000 for you to liberate this animal. You know, um, how, how can you work against that? And that's a really good point you raised. So, you know, even in the Bible, it says money is a root cause of all evil. But to me, it's not the money itself, it's how you use that money. So turning to the elephants, right? Do you need to make money through cruelty? There are ways to make money out of these same elephants by releasing them into a sanctuary that you can own, that you can make money. Compassionate tourism is something that every single tourism uh, company is now beginning to uh, promote. For instance, Expedia, they have launched a campaign uh, to ensure that they will not promote places where animal cruelty is prevalent. And so I have been trying to convey this message to these people and say, okay, well, we're going to employ the same mahouts, the same handlers, mahouts are handlers, and we will teach them positive reinforcement training. By the way, we did provide them positive reinforcement training in 2019. 
And we also um, offer the elephant owners that we can show you how in certain parts of Thailand, tourism elephants are being retired and released into a sanctuary where people can really simply stay behind and observe them just being elephants rather than perform to make people happy. And so uh, the problem is there's incredible resistance and they always, you know, change is inevitable, but change is also difficult, right? These practices have been happening over centuries, I would say at least two centuries. But in the 200 years, things have changed dramatically. It's in 19, in the 1980s that things became so aggressively cruel because the people of Kerala, they started um, sort of like having a better life because they went to the Middle East and they started making a lot of money. Kerala and the Middle East have a lot of connection. And, you know, they didn't know what to do with the money. Again, the root cause of all evil, they didn't know what to do with the money. So they went out and they purchased, they bought these beautiful wild elephants who were abducted from the wild, as I mentioned earlier, and the, that two bull elephants without even recognizing how this would impact the ecosystems. Because when you take away the bull elephants, obviously, you know, there's a significant gender disparity where you have more female elephants than than the male. In fact, according to my research, for every 60 or so female elephants, there's only one bull elephant. And what this can do is create significant, you know, deformities and spread diseases that, that can, you know, spiral out of control. So these are the things that education can, you know, cr help create changes. But the question is, are they willing to learn? They cling to this, they cling to this misguided belief that we have to use these elephants because of cultural and religious uh, you know uh, practices however there's not a single religious scripture neither in hinduism nor buddhism nor christianity nor islam that says elephants have to be used to make gods happy in fact gods i always say gods are shedding tears of blood because god's own creations are being exploited and are being abused and treated. God would never want this to happen. How do you justify ill-treating God's creations by misinterpreting the religious scriptures? And these things are going to take time. When my film was released, the, a lot of people of Kerala were appalled and blown away. But still, they participate in these cultural festivals. So how, like there's this significant dissonance. On the one hand, they feel empathetic, sorry, and you know, they don't want this thing to happen to elephants. But on the other hand, they just don't want to give up the cultural practices. The bottom line is it's going to take as many decades, you know, if not years to change the attitudes and mindsets. There's nothing that can be sort of, we can't enforce, uh, we can't, um, you know, um, cajole and coax, we just have to be very sensitive to cultural uh, practices and find a way to 
sort of get them to understand and have them accept and have them take charge of, of, of creating these changes rather than somebody else telling them what to do. It's going to take time. That's true. I mean, look at what we've done to our own species, you know, our history of slavery, the horrible atrocities against indigenous cultures. Um, you know, if we do that to our own, our own race, you know, then you wonder, well, what hope is there for, for us to change with regard to animals? But I think you have to have hope. And then the work that you're doing, it's interesting, just in the example that you shared with the elephants um, and the males being taken out of the wild and the disparity of, you know, the, the genders. And then you kind of uh, circle around to the parallels of mistreatment of women in India and the elephants. And, and how this can't be ignored. And I, and like you said, it takes time. And, you know, we all heard about that horrible um, rape of the Indian woman. And then the catalyst that made so many women rise up and say, no, we, you know, we can't do this anymore. Um, you're pushing back against arranged marriages and, and things like that. I, I know these attitudes are starting to change, but I mean, what do you, if you could fast forward like 50 or a hundred years what do you, what do you think uh, Kerala would look like or India would look like, you know, for, for women? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And women are speaking out, but there are a lot of women that are terrified of, you know, them being insulted. For instance, just recently last month, there was one woman who was gang raped again by, um, you know, uh, by a, a family actually, and a woman organized this gang rape because this young girl who's only 20 years of age, she rejected her brother because she was married. This brother was so obsessed about her that he said, I want to marry you. You leave him and come to me. And she said, no. So he committed suicide. And because he committed suicide, her, his family blamed her for his death. And his one of his family members organized this gang rape and she was raped before women and so that was devastating and after she was raped they smeared her face with charcoal stuff put like you know garland of slippers and made her parade around new delhi it happened just last month so that just goes to show how difficult it is for attitudes to change. And of course, it created another global outcry. But it, it's like it's been eight years since the previous gang rape had happened in 2012, or basically 10 years. So it's almost like a decadal event. It's almost like climate change. Climate change is a decadal event. It's like the climate of the mind and the climate of the environment. Everything has has so many parallels because you know you're witnessing all these changes happening over the decades over several years including environmental changes because you know when when you when you start um, exploiting the natural world it takes decades for the impact to be felt similarly when we start seeing changes we're gonna have to wait and see for the impact to be felt. It's going to take several years. So to answer your question, uh, 50 years from now, I only I can only hope that you know there will be tsunami, tsunamis uh, 
of changes. There will be a dramatic shift in the way men and women are, I mean, women are being treated by the patriarchal society. And one of the great things is there are so many people that are traveling overseas and there are cultural integrations and, you know, Western culture is being sort of at least um, slowly implemented. One of the things I find is they implement, um, you know, cultural changes that they want uh, and that is convenient for them, but not the changes that are difficult. And again, change is not easy but it is inevitable and with the new generation and the millennial way of thinking and the social media connecting all of us like you and I are connecting from such a far distance, but you know, our souls are connected. And so that's one of the things that technology is offering. We can only hope that it'll create, you know, awakening in the hearts and minds of a patriarchal culture, by the way, Elephants are thriving because they live in a matriarchal society. You know, the feminine, you know, energy has to rise. And that is one of the things that I see happening right now and drawing parallels between the way, you know, elephants are being treated and women are being treated, as you mentioned earlier, which is one of the things that I've explored at great length in the book. And I talk about you know, women are being exploited for dowry because even today, this age-old practice is prevalent where, you know, the men expect money and wealth and material possessions to be given to them. And elephants bring in money. Elephants are being exploited for the sake of money. So there are those parallels. And, you know, they even had the this f female feticide which is when they actually destroy the female fetuses uh, because they didn't want so many women to be born. And as a result, there are more men than women now in India. And that is creating, again, a social upheaval because there's not enough women. Men are buying women in certain markets. It's just a heartbreaking situation, especially in the northern region of India. These things are suppressed so much and not a lot of people are aware of these atrocities against women similarly gender disparity happening in the elephant species and in many other species as well so we are seeing the parallels anywhere you look around what we are doing to ourselves we are actually inflicting upon other species as well it's hard to believe that the things you're just that you describe in the book are happening in 2022 you know, it, it's, ha why haven't we learned over all of this time? And I just, I, I hope that you're right. And I have to cling to the fact that there is hope. And I do think there's, there's change happening. We've seen with the Me Too movement, women are being paid more attention to these. The world is watching. And because of our interconnectivity with social media and things like that, uh, the word gets out, you know, and, and people learn. And, and I do think that that things are going to change. And also I'm hoping, you know, with the government, I mean, you described that how, how ironic, you know, the government of India elevates the Asian elephant to a protected status, but the abuse continues unabated. And I, I have to imagine this is just due to so much corruption or people getting paid off and officials turn a blind eye. 
how, how can there be that, that disparity, you know, within the government? And is that starting to change a little bit from what you've seen? Um, it's, it's an entirely different animal, so to speak, no pun intended, when you think about government, because, you know, they need to get votes and elephants cannot vote. So whatever they do is very anthropocentric, which means very much oriented on what is good for the people without realizing that by decimating the natural world, by decimating the animals, by decimating the wildlife, it's gonna return to haunt humans themselves. And this is where there's a significant dearth of information, scientific as well as basic ecological information, right? And so one of my goals, and I have started connecting with government officials. In fact, um, just as recently as last month, they launched this Wildlife Protection Act amendment uh, and very quietly, when everybody was distracted by COVID, the government tried to make these insidious changes. And of course, now animal welfare movement is alive and thriving even in India. And with the release of my film, Gods and Shackles and several other such films, people are more attuned with what's happening. So we caught it just in time. And so the chairman of this standing committee for forest and environment, I directly connected with him and I put together a 24 page appeal and I explained to him everything about elephants, how incredibly social they are and how culturally significant they are, how ecologically significant they are and why we need to protect them and how protecting them is going to help protect your own constituents. And so you need to talk and, and start messaging the narratives in a manner that would resonate these politicians, how it would benefit them. Because at the end of the day, that's what this boils down to, right? It's like, how will it benefit me? Elephants can't vote, obviously. And so that's the irony of it all. They elevated the elephants to the heritage animal status and schedule one animal and yet, you know, that's what they're doing, exploiting, and they're not even connecting the dots. In fact, elephants are considered to be the embodiment of Lord Ganesh. And Lord Ganesh, he is the remover of all obstacles. He's a beloved God, and he's treasured by people around the world, regardless of all, like he basically even dispels the religious barriers. That's how much he is loved and cherished. Yet his embodiments are being abused. And so this is what my movie has kind of like, oh, that's exactly what we are doing. So the point I'm trying to get across is hopefully education, ongoing awareness and education. It's like, you know, when you do marketing, when you see advertisements, it is repeated on an ongoing basis till it sticks with you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back to talk more with Sangeeta Iyer about her book, Gods and Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy, Resilience, and Freedom. We'll be right back. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further 
allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me. I'm talking to Sangeeta Iyer about her book, Gods and Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy, Resilience, and Freedom. And uh, it's, yeah, this book has just so affected me and it's so difficult to read what's going on with these wonderful animals, but the work that Sangeeta is doing, bringing a lot of this to light of, of what's going on. And particularly her book uh, illuminates the practice of elephants being used in these large uh, religious festivals. And I think a lot of uh, people in the West, um, especially in America, like we've maybe heard of some of these festivals, um, there's actually 3,000 temple festivals across the state of Kerala, where you're from, and where you did a lot of the, the research here. You talk about one of the largest ones, and it's, I hope I say this right, <laughs> through Surpuram or through Surpuram. Absolutely. What, what does that festival mean and its significance? And like, kind of take us into a day of, of that festival. What, what could we expect if we went? So Trishurpuram is basically um, an astrologically um, auspicious day uh, in the Hindu traditions. And it is a 36-hour nonstop uh, festival for people and celebration for people, but 36-hour nonstop brutality and torture for elephants. People from across the state, across India, even from around the world, they can read in the millions. I mean, when you're there, it's like a sea of people spread across and you're like, and elephants in the midst of so many people, no protection, nothing. I mean, elephants, people are in such close proximity again you know it's like they're they're um, transported in precarious positions in through treacherous roads in unstable trucks many elephants have died because of you know truck accident many have fallen and died um, and even the low uh, electrical sagging wires poor maintenance and elephants have you know been electrocuted so many atrocious things have happened and in the during the festivities what happens is at least 100 to 125 elephants are brought on a, on a regular basis they are to parade you know and they're deprived of as i mentioned earlier they're deprived of food water shelter standing beneath the scorching sun as you know music blaring and these elephants are incredibly sensitive you know they they're they can feel even the most subtle seismic vibrations through their sensitive you know soft footed uh, padded feet and their trunk which is made up of about 600,000 muscles and 
millions of nerve endings are so sensitive that they would be going insane, but they are tethered and they are constantly poked with bull hooks and with spears on their back, on their sensitive skin and made and forced to stand. Firecrackers bursting like nonstop about 30 minutes of fireworks taking place. And this elephant, blind elephant called Tripaya Ramachandran, he's forced to stand there for hours on end, just putting up with this nonsense. And they say that, you know, elephants are used to all this. Elephants can never get used to all this because they are instinctually wild. Their wild instincts can never be, you know, so-called tamed. Uh, and so they run amok because they can't take it anymore. And by the way, elephants are so tolerant. It's only when they're unable to tolerate that it's only when they've reached their limits that they say, this is it, I can't take it anymore. And they run amok. When they run amok, people get killed. And when people get killed, elephants are brutalized even more. I mean, okay, so to just put things into proper perspective, Kerala has about... 37 million people. It is the tiniest state in India. India has about 1.41 billion people. That is 17.7% of the global human population, right? And, it, it, and, and just again, to provide you some perspective, India is three times smaller than the United States. And it has three times more people than the United States. So just think about that. Right? And this is where through congested roads, elephants are being paraded, their trucks are being, tra they're being transported with trucks in precarious positions, unable to balance their massive bodies. And so they run amok, they can't take the heat. And then what they do is they put spike chains on their legs and these spike chains, they just grip their ankles so tightly that they can't even move. Even with the slightest movement, the spikes grip them even more and grip them and grip them until they can't even move and they're paralyzed. This is what the elephants go through. Nobody who participates in these festivals are aware or maybe they're oblivious to what's going on because most of them are men and these men are drunk in their drunken state, they, are, they lose themselves and they completely are oblivious to the subject of these elephants. That's what Trishirpuram is all about. It's nothing but elephants. And you know something, the irony of it all, the firecrackers are so powerful that many times the temple roofs have collapsed. And that is something that I've exposed in my film, Gods and Shackles, which is, by the way, available on Amazon Prime and people can download and watch it. But it's just horrendous to, to see that the sacred temple is being bombarded, literally. It's like artillery fire being, you know, constantly being devastating this, you know, the sacred place. And they still, it's, they're so obsessed and they're so brainwashed by these misguided myths that they refuse to make any changes. Like sometimes I wonder, what will it take for you to change? So many people have been killed. So many elephants have been killed. The handlers have been killed. Their families suffer. Why? What, like, what's the purpose of all this? It's so needless. I mean, why couldn't you just have a giant float 
or an inflatable, you know, or something like that. If you want the image of the elephant, what you described, like to me personally, just seems like the most horrifying thing because I could not handle a crowd like that. That would totally send me over the edge. I mean, I remember reading about some of the tragedies that have happened at the Hajj, the big um, Muslim pilgrimage. And I just think I could not even imagine all of that humanity, you know, together is just insane. Um, yeah, I, it's just crazy. And in the book, you, you, in, you do int- introduce us to several elephants in the story. And so they, they provide a big, a big part of the book. And, and one in particular, you called your soulmate and her name was Lakshmi. And you draw parallels between her captivity and your own. And you say that her mahout or, or her handler would beat her to control her. And in India, it's a cultural norm to express love by beating and controlling how I, I'm like speechless and even thinking about that. And I know it's not only India, it's other cultures as well that this practice is okay. How is this okay? Yeah, um, <laughs> um, the minute you speak about Lakshmi, I become totally emotional because her life is just kind of brought back my own childhood nightmares. Um, you know, there are so many things that she endured. For instance, there is a time that I was speaking with, I was speaking with a person uh, at whose, uh, where she is actually housed, who houses her in this massive mansion. I would constantly keep in touch with him because he had three elephants. He owned two of them and he housed Lakshmi. And so there was a time when uh, I, I made a phone call and I asked him, How's, how are these elephants? How is my Lakshmi? He said, oh, you know what we did? We actually had uh, Ayyappan, that is another male who was in his complex that he owned. We had him mate her. I said, how did you do that? And, and, and like he was so ignorant that he even explained to me what he did. They chained her she was so terrified unable to move and they also had chained Ayapan in his rear leg he mounted her he mated her but it was nothing short of a rape because she was helpless and this happened to her without her consent isn't that what we would call when a girl's when a girl is sexually abused, isn't it a rape? So that connection just, you know, brought back memories of how, when I was 11 year old child playing hide and go seek, there was this predator who somehow lured me into his home and he molested me. Luckily I was not raped because I was so, something triggered and I bit him. And I, I ran to the balcony door and I escaped to the veranda door and I escaped and I just, just flung myself into my grandma's open arms and I began to cry. And she said, this is a big secret between you and me, right? And up until I wrote this book, my grandma passed away in 1995. But up until I wrote this book, it was so suppressed and it felt 
so liberating to share my story. And that's what Lakshmi inspired me to do, to share the story so women who have been through the things that I've been through, who have been through the things that Lakshmi has been through, realize that we are all in this together, that this patriarchal culture needs to understand the suffering that it is inflicting on other species and women. And exactly like you mentioned earlier, you know, the handler would justify and say things like, you know, I love her. That is why I have to control her just to make sure that she is a good girl. And I still remember how my mother used to justify the way my father treated me and, and bless my father's heart. He himself has been through such traumatic childhood, like he was orphaned at the age of, you know, six or seven, and he himself had been through a traumatic life, but, you know, and he didn't know how to deal with it, with it. And so he spilled over his own trauma, over his family and, you know, his children, and I was physically abused as well. And so my, my, my mother would justify and say things like, you know, your father loves you. He doesn't, he wants everybody to respect you. He wants everybody to appreciate you. That's why he beats you because he wants you to behave. And again, that parallel, when Lakshmi said that, I'm like, oh my God. In fact, that abuse that was inflicted on me just had completely stifled my confidence. It had stifled me literally you know, made me suffocated all my life. And it took incredible healing, which began in 1999. And even now I'm a work in progress because I know that, you know, there are triggers that just bring back those memories, but I'm better able to deal with it because I'm able to openly express. For instance, if I say something that offends somebody, I would be the first one to call them and apologize and say, you know, I've been through stuff. And again, that's not an excuse to do what I did. But I can only say that I'm sorry, I really didn't mean to do this to you. And so, you know, gradually, I am, I am healing, but it is again, living it one day at a time. It was so hard to read of her treatment and, and then your own experience. And, and I can certainly feel and, and tell by listening to you how how hard it is. And I, I can only hope that by you sharing your story and other people too, that these these generational traumas that continue over and over in, in, in families and it, it will just bring more awareness and hopefully we are evolving. And I've talked to other authors and teachers that say we are evolving to, to be better. And I just, I have to believe that that, that will be the case in the future, but it, it was so hard to read that about, about Lakshmi and just to have a contrast that there is a happy ending for an elephant in the story. So I do want to share a little bit about that. Um, another elephant that just sounded so majestic and beautiful, uh, Shiva Sundar. And there was a big uh, international outcry over his treatment at a temple. And, you know, this took years, right, to get him out of that situation even where awareness was brought to like celebrities like Paul McCartney became involved and, and talked about it. And 
please tell me that that elephant is still there in the and is happy in the sanctuary yes he is oh and, thank goodness <laughs> yeah and and the journey for me the journey into meeting him because after i had seen him as this media sensation i actually journeyed i it was the most it was the riskiest journey i i would say i had taken one of the riskiest journeys because all my journeys are risky but this one was like really treacherous and you know they could have inflicted such pain and suffering on me as a woman in particular but again the driver who took me there happened to be from the same village he happened to know the temple authorities he happened to know the location of this i mean it's like how synchronicities unfolded when i wanted to to you know highlight his story to me that was the 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 most amazing moral of that entire story and of course his rescue and release was a happy ending but just the way everything fell into perfect place it just goes to show that when we are committed to doing something the universe will pave the way it has been my lived experience and so i always tell people you know if you see something that you don't like do something about it don't worry about how you're going to do it just make a commitment that i am going to do something about it and life will make it happen and that's how my own organization voice for asian elephant society came to be because aside from documenting all these fill uh, all these things and sharing and exposing i wanted to do something more for the elephants and the happy ending to that like this week three four projects came to fruition elephants are getting killed under the railway tracks and we partnered with a local you know organization and you asked about government officials and corruption we are now partnering with government officials and they have joined hands with us to you know install sensors that will alert elephants that is just one project then there are other projects where we are you know taking cultivating saplings and we are planting it in the forest to you know make sure that the habitats that are being destroyed are rejuvenated we are again you know collaborating with government so the point i'm trying to make is where there's a will there's a way and when you just think that there's corruption and there's nothing that can be done through constant awareness and constant empowerment you know one of the one of my motto is is to protect elephants by creating sustainable human communities and that is what we are already witnessing when we are kind and compassionate to humans and we create awareness stating that compassion is what is going to end not only the suffering of elephants but also our own suffering when we are kind and gentle and compassionate with ourselves we can also you know reflect that kindness and we can spill love and kindness into the world into this war torn world and create like a harmonious coexistence we can and i think that that's very possible and just what you describe in the book of people coming together to enact change and i think that's what is going to happen just to kind of make a comparison with what we're experiencing now with ukraine and and watching some of the atrocities that are happening in that war the the people in russia will see the truth 
I don't think the truth can be hidden anymore. Right. It's too easy for people to share information. And it's only when people together rise up against a, a tyrannous dictator that the people, we can make the change, us together can make change. And it, it led to a happy ending to circle back to Sundar, a happier ending for him. People came together to enact that change. It did take a while, but I like how you share with um, in the story of that many synchronistic events came together to bring you know success to this this particular um, part of the story. And you're a Hay House author, and and I had worked with Louise Hay for a long time, and she always said, when you're on the right path, people come to you. And that's your experience too, right? So it's not just woo-woo stuff. That really does work. Absolutely. And and yeah, and when you read the book, and I mean, I could have never imagined producing a documentary of this magnitude. And it was nominated to the United Nations General Assembly, won about a dozen international film festival awards, including three, you know, best documentary award. Like who would have thunk it? You know, I mean, it's just insane. When I produced this film, it was not at all intended to win any awards. It was just intended to protect these elephants. So my intention was very pure, just to expose the atrocities. Not my intention was never ever, you know, tainted by accolades and recognition. Even this book, how it came to existence. I mean, that is yet another story. Like. I was so paranoid of even approaching Hay House because I thought, who the hell do I think I am? You know, like I am just like after listening to Dr. Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, you know, amazing authors like Anita Mojani. And I mean, her story touched me so profoundly and so many other authors, you know, it just it's just mind boggling. And Louise Hay herself, her story and my story. I mean, they, there are so many parallels between even our lives. I mean, she's a late bloomer. I am also a late, you know, there are so many parallels. And yet she just kept going, because age is nothing, it's just a number. And so to me, it's like, when you, when you make a determination that I want to do this and your intention is pure and genuine to serve the greater good, then things just fall into perfect place. People, I didn't have the money to produce a documentary and my own media colleagues, because as a former broadcaster, as you mentioned, like I had so many connections and they all said, Sangeeta, they watched the footage. They said, you have to do something with this. Because I was so paranoid. What am I going to do with this, right? I went through all the fears and I did what I had to do. Because anytime somebody gave me a message, I'm like, okay, I have to pay attention. I have to take this seriously. I took every single message that came to me incredibly seriously. And I took concrete action in order to make sure that, you know, that I did my part, leaving the rest, you know, to the universe. But that was the hard part. It's like you get you get attached to the outcomes, right? And even the outcomes, like I even now, like I can't believe all the awards. And I'm not saying this to pat my back but it's just to say that uh, when you do something with with 
pure intentions, only good things will happen. Yes, yes, absolutely. And even, and I, I love that message. And I love that just, it can be a seed, like, like Dr. Dyer would always talk about the mustard seed, you know, becoming the oak, you, you know, you felt something passionate about something, you had an idea and, and everything starts from that, right? It's that little, that little seed, that little idea and grew, you know, because the message had to be heard. And, and even all the obstacles that came in your way, you know, trying to produce the film and you lost your editor and all this other stuff. And people have to read the book <laughs> to find out everything. Um, but it's quite the journey that you went on to get this movie out there and the information out there for, for people. And it's been a, a huge success. I, I really hope everybody sees the movie. And while we just have a minute or two left, I do want to send people to find out about the Voice for Asian Elephant Society. If this speaks to you, if you love the elephants and you want to get involved, there are ways that people can help. And, and please tell us how we can do that. They can visit bfaes.org. That is V as in voice, F as in four, A as in Asian, E as in elephants, S as in society, voice for Asian Elephant Society. That is bfaes.org. And there are a lot of projects that we have, about a dozen projects that we've launched and that are so successful. They can become involved in any way they want. They can donate. They can, you know, volunteer. There are a lot of opportunities to support. And of course, as you mentioned, the book will be, revealing and I think it will inspire one of the only things that I want to mention is you know what really sustained me through all the trials and tribulations is mother nature I spent numerous hours you know communing with her listening to the chirping of the birds the robins the woodpeckers and even through the winter months like I would visit these uh, you know, a, a nature reserve right next to me. And I would listen to the rippling waters, the bubbling brook. And I would just gain so much information, download of information. I would see the geese birthing the egg, you know, birthing the goslings uh, sitting on the egg. And you mentioned the oak tree. It's exactly nurturing the seed, planting, you know, the seed and watering and fertilizing with good thoughts and pure intentions and finally birthing the baby just the way you know the 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 mother the mother goose birthed the gosling which is another story that i've mentioned in the book that to me was just so sweet and uh, yeah every step of the way mother nature guided me so i just want to glorify her support and just let people know that mother earth is is the mother that we need to sustain and protect and all of her inhabitants who are our non-human brothers and sisters. People definitely pick this up, A Gods and Shackles by Sangeeta Iyer. See the movie, the documentary is available. I believe you said Netflix, Amazon, people can search for it. You will be forever changed. It's a story that needs to be heard. Thank you so much, Sangeeta, for sharing it with us today. Well, thank you for the wonderful questions you asked and for bringing out the best in me and the emotions. You are such a great interviewer. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, 
then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.